Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be bringing you the Tuesday tidbits. I got a lot of stories that I've kind of accumulated over the past week. Some of them regard the Thunder, some of them kind of do not, but they're all interesting nonetheless. And then I'm finally going to be putting a bow on my big board. I started that out, I believe, six days ago, and we're finally here. Gonna talk about the top five in the class. I'm pretty confident about these guys. I think they're all going to be amazing, and I hope you guys share my opinion with that as well. But first, we gotta jump into the Tuesday tidbits, and we're gonna start it on a very high note. This clip has to do with consensus lottery pick Josh Giddy and the Daily Thunder Zone Brandon Rabar. Um, so just take a listen to this if you guys have not already heard. We worked out this offseason, uh, you know, the whole time I was in Melbourne and we've been in the gym together for a long time. So, I mean, there's no one really better to work okay. with in Australia Did than, you poop? Than, um, than Andrew Gaze. He's, uh, he's a legend of you know, basketball there. And, um, you know, going through this process, he's been big for me um, just in, in terms of, you know, keeping me focused. Um, you know, he's been he's been in the spotlight before. He he understands how this all works. So um, being able to talk with him and uh... so as you guys just heard, Josh Giddy was taking a question, presumably about some of the point guards he played on. You know, he played with a, when he was in Adelaide for the Thirty Sixers. Brett Brandon Rabar kind of stole the show and asked his one year old kid. If they had pooped and he forgot to mute the zoom call and I'm not in these zoom calls that would be hilarious though like doing school on zoom normally everybody just immediately they're gonna turn off their webcam they're turning off their microphone they don't want you know the teacher to see what's going on or just whoever like you know and and I'm assuming that's kind of how it is in NBA circles as well because as Rabar reported, they are already muted when they're in the Thunder interviews. So I guess he just assumed that he was already going to get muted when his kid came walking out of the bathroom. Hey, just got to pop that question. Did you poop? We didn't get a clear answer from the child, which, you know, uh, apparently I think Brandon said that indeed they did. But Josh Giddy. He didn't have a comment on it. And what the funny thing is, is Royce Young from ESPN was in the call. He actually clipped it. And it even got to the point that Josh Giddy had addressed it himself. And he he said that, you know, he thought he heard something a little bit off when he was in the interview. And um, that he did. He actually responded like an absolute champion to that, though. Like, if you were to ask that to somebody... You know, mid-sentence, you get that, that you know, that question popped. I don't know how I'd handle it, to be honest with you. That'd, that'd make me take at least five seconds to think of something, and I very well could awkwardly reply, Josh Goody just kept it moving, played it pretty damn cool, and I think he earned some respect, and he earned, yeah, he earned that respect, and I think also people are looking at him thinking, he, he actually did probably... One of the better jobs when it came to the interview process, at least from last week when, you know, prospects held kind of panels for 
the media. And Brandon actually mentioned, um, hi, Josh. So as I was saying, Josh Giddy did not have a comment on the situation there. But that was one of the more funny moments. Brandon's always really good when it comes to popping questions to players like he originated the poku fanny pack question i think that is probably the most memorable question we've heard from thunder interviews this season and hey for josh giddy too this one probably is gonna stick in the back of his head for a little while because yeah i mean he took it like a champ and andrew gaze he's getting a lot of playback time he got the um he got the plug all the while while giddy had to talk and deal with uh, a question like that but that was still very 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 funny i mean i thought it was funny at least next though this is more stuff that you saw from the interviews between prospects you had pretty much all of the lottery guys and green room guys taking questions and the main two that are of priority kind of at least from the thunder perspective are going to be scotty barnes and jonathan kuminga and even James Booknight could be in the mix, but I'm hammering down on these two forwards specifically. And Scotty Barnes, he got asked about OKC. He wasn't shy about it. As I reported yesterday, he did go in for an interview, and he said that he actually really enjoyed it, and he thought the interview with Oklahoma City went pretty well. And he said meetings when he talked about it. He said the meetings with Oklahoma City went well. Did he get brought back a second time we know that that's something that has happened with Io Sumu, for example now the range of Io is not on the same grid as Scotty Barnes Barnes you're lucky if he's there at six Io Sumu, he could be anywhere in this draft I think you know there is so you know these mock drafts I guess that's what I want to say these mock drafts they really don't have a lot of credibility Um, they do until Thursday evening, but once Thursday evening hits, everything just kind of hits the fan and a lot of people's lottery boards just crumble. It's just part of the game. So I think the boards, you know, people doing the scouting, they do a very good job at constructing these, but you can't really guess where these franchises are kind of thinking because you'd think they're going to draft after need they go after potential there's just a lot of kind of blind sides that can make a board crumble i think io could fall scotty barnes we already know is a top six player in this draft class but on top of talking about the meetings with oklahoma city he mentioned lou dort and this is verbatim he said watching lou dort play he's an amazing defensive player has that intensity his intangibles are off the chart. You see how good he is? Me playing with him would be great for the organization, having two players who can guard multiple guys on the floor. And if you bring Scotty Barnes in, it does kind of give you that unique element because all of last season, Lou Dort was that starting three, and it really didn't change whether you had Teo playing or it was... George Hill, for example, before he had a hand injury. So he was kind of that three, and he's not the size of a three. And at four, you had Bays and Poku, where I think they're kind of flip-flopping between three and four, especially Bays. I don't know. But Scotty Barnes is a three or four. Clearly, though, with this move, Lou Dort's going to get shipped back to the two guard, and 
that would kind of help reinforce what Barnes is thinking, and he is correct here. I mean, Barnes is one of the defensive specialists that you're going to find in this draft class, has a very long wingspan. He's already six foot nine. He can move around pretty damn well, and as we know, Lou Dort is one of the premier perimeter defenders in the NBA, and his ability to switch is really unheard of given his size, so that tandem would definitely make a lot of sense. I will say, though, you know, they you could kind of say the same thing about him and Jonathan Isaac in Orlando. In Orlando, they get first dibs on Scotty Barnes at pick number five, but really, they might not actually have first dibs because above them at four, you have the Toronto Raptors. They've been written up as selecting Jalen Suggs for a very long time, and it really doesn't shift outside of, you know, the on and off mock drafts you might find. When people want to throw in flyers, Scotty Barnes is listed on there, and it kind of is what it is. Like, I feel like a top four has been solidified, but I think it's actually been cracked open now with Scotty Barnes, and him going to Toronto at four isn't too far-fetched anymore. He had a question regarding the Raptors, and he also said with the Raptors he had a good conversation with them, just trying to get to know them, And he also credited their player development being extremely good. And I'm assuming if you get asked about a specific franchise, it doesn't matter if he got asked about the damn Lakers or the Clippers. If he didn't even work out with someone, he'd still probably compliment them. You know, you're not going to tarnish someone who gave you a workout or two, especially if they're in the top five of a class. And I'd assume the Raptors gave him an amazing interview. They always seem to be one of the class organizations in the NBA, and they do have one of the better front offices that you're going to find, and that's what he talked about, not just the player development, but he kind of keyed more into the shooting strides that they have made through some of the players. He said that they're great at developing non-shooters into shooters over the years, and I believe that is correct at some extent. I know OG Ananobi, he's kind of grown as a player, at least from three. Now, beforehand and in college, was he a sharpshooter? Truthfully, I don't think he was at a very high level, but now he's not really seen as just this defensive player. He's kind of seen as one of those promising two ways, and even from the Thunder side of things, if you get a trade of Ananobi for Lou Dort, people would say yes, and I haven't focused much on Ananobi. I think that the Thunder in general, you know, it's is kind of a case-by-case thing with every fan base, but we overvalue, we you know, we overvalue people, and I think that maybe Lou Dort could be in that category, but I do think it's kind of the same, where Ananobi wasn't an amazing shooter, now he kind of is, and maybe you can even address that with guys like Siakam and Chris Boucher. I will need to kind of check up on those stats, but the history there definitely has some validity, and I think that him going to the Raptors would actually make a lot of sense, and you know, depending on what the Raptors want to do, if they're trying to make another play-in or playoff run, I think Scotty Barnes is a perfect choice. You already have your guard in Fred Van Vliet. You have Gary Trent Jr., Boucher, and Siakam, as I mentioned, and you also have OG Ananobi. So that's a very good six-man rotation. Could go with that Suggs route, though. Personally, I don't think him saying he had an interview and he enjoys the development means he's going to be going to the Raptors by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that they are a team to monitor, and it will be interesting to see how he pans out and what his stock will look like 
not just throughout the draft process, but I think even hours before, there could be some breakthrough news. You got Shams, you have Adrian Wojnarowski, he's always going to be talking. Both of them are going to be battling to get the takes. Scotty Barnes will be in some of those tweets, and probably before the draft even commences. After that, though, you have Jonathan Kaminga, and he is the player who's kind of sunk down a bit in terms of draft selection. Now he's the guy you find at six, but I will say, looking through Magic Media, it seems like Kuminga has been the fan favorite just because he's more of the score type star offensive player as opposed to another Jonathan Isaac, but if Kuminga's there at six, he is interesting, and I think he's a guy that the Thunder need to take a very good look at. He mentioned not specifically anything towards the Thunder that I found, but he said that he doesn't think he's going to be an immediate impact guy at first in the NBA, but he thinks in four or five years, he's going to be one of the faces of the league, and he expects to be winning championships. So he is dedicated to this. This has been kind of a spiel that he has been on the bus for for months and months now he's always talked about how he believes he's going to be special in this league and that's very good confidence you want to find i will say to think or for him to say that he doesn't expect to be you know all of that amazing immediately impacting from the jump is interesting i feel like you know if you're gonna go bold that way you might as well go full swing at it but you know maybe he wants to be more conservative that's that's all right too he might think, okay, he might get drafted, he's going to be in a limited role, and he's okay with that, that just proves, you know, what kind of a person he is, and that's actually kind of positive to have that sort of mindset, as opposed to just being super cocky, attitude over everything, Kaminga's not like that, but his skills can definitely show it, I'm going to be talking about him, so don't you worry about it, I'll be talking about him in a little bit, but yeah, Jonathan Kaminga, he got a couple words in, and even though it wasn't as vocal as a Scotty Barnes, I still think he was worth talking about just for that split second. And another guy who deserves a bit of the podcast time is Thon Maker. And he was spotted in an Oklahoma City airport last week. And it could just be a whole bunch of nothing. Maybe you just got an in-between flight and, you know, he's got a ticket across the country. He's got to take one of those kind of stops would OKC be one of those kind of premier destinations you just kind of fly into and then board another plane? I don't think so, but uh, maybe. I, I'm not sure. That's kind of the conspiracy grounds, but also it could mean he was actually talking and interviewing, and it would make some level of uh, of sense because when you look at Thon Maker, he's kind of fallen off the map, and he hasn't been playing basketball on an NBA franchise since like January and honestly I didn't even know he was playing on the Cleveland Cavaliers this season I thought he was with the Pistons and he was kind of done but he was on the Cavs he ended up getting cut in January though because of the James Harden deal they had to cut him in addition to Yogi Ferrell and the deal was it was between Maker or Dean Wade they picked Dean Wade and Maker got the axing, so he's out, he's been a free agent for months now, but, you know, he's still probably in shape to be playing, and he does still have a lot of future ahead of him, and I don't think he's going to be asking for all that much, he couldn't get a contract for 
what, like five, six months during the regular season. So I think the Thunder could make a play. When you look at him, he's not all that old. He's only 24 years old, and he's actually entering his sixth season if he gets a contract next year, which is very wild to think about. Seems like two, three years ago, Mike Corzemba was talking about how he is the next MVP, but that did not happen. You look at his game, I think it's one of those situations where it has OKC written all over him. When you want to talk about the 30 franchises and you want to talk about this seven foot one center who has prided himself, or at least coming into his draft class, he was prided upon being able to shoot as a perimeter guy, have some handling ability, and defensively being able to rim protect. Yeah, that is a play style that best suits the current OKC Thundercore right now because you have Alexei Pokusevsky, you have Vit Krejci if he does come over uh, into a 15-man. If not, he's going to be a two-way. But also, got to keep in mind what they could do with some of these draft picks. There are other players like Vrenz Blindberg if they want to take him. You add all those and you get another person in Thon Maker, that's already super dangerous. But Maker included, that's wild. He just has that type though, like I said. And that three-point shot, the dribbling, that's all nice. If he was doing that at a high level, he would still be on the Milwaukee Bucks most likely. And he wouldn't have been a free agent. So he just didn't have consistency whatsoever when he's been playing to this point. And... I think now is where his value is at his complete lowest. If the Thunder want to make a flyer on a non-guaranteed contract with a player like Thon Maker, you can make that offer. You know, when you look at what the Thunder did last year, you look at Frank Jackson. They gave Frank Jackson a $250,000 guarantee, so it was partially guaranteed, and they decided after trading camp they were not going to hold on to him, even though he deserved a, a contract. Let's just keep it frank here. Um, that was like a really crappy pun. I didn't expect that. But whenever they cut him off, joins the Pistons, he was great. Point being though, they got Frank Jackson, a guy who I thought would have been getting a fully guaranteed contract on a partially guaranteed one. And it turned out to be a good investment. Now it wasn't obviously for the Thunder. The Detroit Pistons got a great deal with him though. And I think something to the tune of that could actually work with Thon Maker. Bring him in on a training camp deal you know and he's gonna be a high priority training camp offer you're not gonna sign away a ticket to one of your top 15 though but you'll say you're gonna be one of the top 17 18 guys we'll make that look at you and we'll see even if he is one of the top 15 guys i'm not sure i would have that big of a problem with it because when you check out the landscape of the oklahoma city thunder truthfully i don't see them coming in for a play-in or playoff contention for a couple years now. I think next season will just be an extension of this rebuild, and as it should be, you have SGA, but you need to kind of acquire more assets, and everybody's so damn young. Maker at 24 isn't ridiculous as opposed to some of the other people you might find in free agency. Now, Tony Bradley, granted, we could have him as a restricted free agent at age 22. You could get a guy like Jackson or Kai Jones in the draft, but this is one of those options where you know, Maker is not your traditional big. At 24, you still look at the ceiling and think, okay, he has a chance here. And you just want to try to tap out any sort of potential that might be left. And that might be a redundant statement because 
the Bucks picked him up in the lottery. Then you had the Pistons, and now even the Cavs wanted to take a shot at him last season. But I do think it's all about situation here. And the Thunder, out of, you know, when you want to compare them to where Maker has previously played with, they're clearly the best suited for him. This is a team that is kind of built to have mistakes in that plan. They're not looking to get 60 wins in a season. They're looking to have everybody improve to the point where in three, four years, they are going to be in contention for 60 wins. And they're going to be a playoff threat with a ton of draft picks still on the table to move around. So I think that this is the perfect flyer. Ideally, again, I think the Frank Jackson contract fits him perfectly. Partially guarantee that bad boy and just let him run, see what happens. But even then, you could just give him a full-on deal. We saw it with TJ Leaf, for example. Whenever they made the deal, I think it was Jalen LeCue for TJ Leaf plus a second-round pick. We got that second-rounder in 2027. TJ Leaf's contract was like double of LeCue, and we ended up cutting TJ Leaf. And again, money's not a problem for the Thunder. They still could penny-pinch if they would like to, but... Yeah, McCurr is that perfect project type. The deal is, though, you got to understand with a guy like this, he's had a lot of chances and he just hasn't been able to convert. But in a bench role, I would like to see him start out there 10, 15 minutes. That's kind of where he's been overall as a player. I don't think he's actually had a, a stint where he's played like over 20. And no, the most he's played at one point has been 19.4, did that for 29 games with the Detroit Pistons, but he never had that really large stint. And what you'd want to do is put him under a magnifying glass, put him with the basketball in his hands, not, you know, lodge him into uncomfortable situations. Let him blossom and just give him that chance again because he never has really erupted. Career high for a season actually came in 2018, I believe. Only five points a game. And when you look at his build of, you know, being seven foot one with a seven three wingspan, he's really lengthy. So he might be able to crash the boards for you. As a passer, I'm not sure if I'm sold, but rejecting shots, I think he could be very valuable in that area. So he does have more potential than what you're going to find in the free agency. And for most people looking at centers and free agency, their big deal is just filling out solid backups who are going to give you night in and night out. Pretty similar stat lines. Thon Maker's not like that. He's going to have games where he looks unplayable, and then he's going to have games where he's going to be controlling. And I think that risk and reward factor is worth looking at, especially when we don't even have any centers to begin with. We'll take anybody we can get when it comes down to it. And I think Thon Maker, he will be a decent project if you uh, if you want to take that little um, chance with a player like him. Obviously, the ripple effect, though, if you do want to take Thon, if he's going to be part of that 15, now you got to look at the draft picks. And luckily, free agency comes after the draft, unlike some other sports. So you can kind of see how many roster spots will be available uh, and then make this signing. But if they have it guaranteed or whatnot, who's going to be the odd man out? Because I project the Thunder take four picks in this draft. They probably could take three. They might just trade everything and just get like one or two, be like that if they would like to. 
But if they're in that spot where they're lodged at 15 and they get Thon in, who gets moved? Does Vit get to that two-way contract? Do you have to look towards guys like Gabrielle Deck? Do you have to trade away somebody, dump somebody off? It could be a messy situation because everyone on the team is so young and they're decent role players. Are they stars? They're not, but they're decent role players and that has value. There'll be gladly other teams looking to scoop them up if we cut off, you know, one of our bottom three guys. I still think those are NBA level players. So we just don't have the superstars, but the supporting group is pretty solid. Uh, and, and that's one of those things where it does make it a very complex question when you want to add just one singular person onto the rotation. And it even becomes even more layered because now there's actually a picture from Jalen Horde's Instagram. This is a, uh, an Instagram story, and he was in the Thunder's training facility. Now, this is one of those like buyer bluffs yet again where should I overthink it? Probably not, but it's worth talking about. And I'm going to say this because Ryland Styles was asking, you know, could this be a photo that was taken a couple months ago or what? And I believe it was Josh Cleary. I think that is his name. He's worked for Ocali. He's done work with Buddy Heald. I like following him. He's a good follow on Twitter. But he pointed out that I guess with these Instagram stories, filters are only available, particularly this one, I guess, are only available when it is a live photo. So if you just import an image, it's not going to have those same options, at least in terms of filtering. So I'm going to take it as last week's photo was a real-time picture. If he's training in the Thunder facility, what do we make of that? Like, I think that he would, I thought he wouldn't be around. I thought he's worth that two-way. He's worth a contract maybe even, but I don't think he fits what the Thunder is kind of looking for right now. So it's, it's really hard to break it down. And this is even after Josh Hall has been around the OKC area. Guys like Rob Edwards, who I don't really know what's going to happen in his future. He's been around the area though too. So I mean, there's just a lot of different people, and even Vit, like we talked about. If they're going to put Josh Hall on a two-way, which I think makes the most sense out of him, Horder Vit, and let's say Thon Maker joins in, now you got Vit and Horde competing for that two-way. I feel like Vit would take it, but then then again, Jalen Horde was working out with you a couple weeks before the Summer League. What does that mean about Jalen Horde? Are you really going to cut him and I guess technically he's not part of the organization right now. He's a restricted free agent, but I don't know, man. I feel like that'd be very awkward. Like I know for some players, they immediately after the G League or even after the NBA regular season, they moved to places like Miami. Like Trevor Reza literally just did that. He didn't even come to OKC once. And guys like Yurt Seven did that too. He went straight to Miami. Maybe it was due to the heat having a promise with him but just things along those lines like people go outside of okc to train and i think it's pretty obscure for someone to actually want to stay in okc's area which you know like obviously okc is a great spot but these guys you know they can live a bit lavish they might be able to go to cali florida to train they got a lot of those like super high level trainers but they'd rather stay close, they'd be with OKC, 
I don't know if you just open those doors if they're not going to resign him. Like, I think the Thunder behind closed doors and even what is leaked out, they're genuine. Sam Presti's genuine. Everybody is. They're going to say it how it is, and they're the reason that guys like Chris Paul and Al Horford had those resting schedules. That's why if Kemba Walker remains, he's going to have a resting schedule as well because they're going to keep it real. They're going to say, here's what be- here's what, you know, what is best for us. Here's what's going to be best for you. I think that's how it probably works at the discussion table when you're trying to make these free agent signings, and you know they'll probably mutually part ways. That has happened multiple times before, so I just think that's how it is. I guess even Deontay Burton could be an example because I know it was a bit awkward. Like they had mutual interest, but he never got signed last offseason. Just one of those deals maybe could erupt out of nowhere. So Horn was off the menu. Now he's back in discussions and it kind of came in out of left field. Like, I don't know. So the field of players has just, it just keeps growing. And then you have all these six draft picks that we're going to have figured out, but it still is going to weigh over. And I think by the time they're done selecting, it's kind of finally going to hit and we're going to understand what this situation uh, will be for the franchise. But that is going to do it for the tidbits portion of this episode. And we're going to go into the top five of my big board. But before I go into that, I want to let you guys know about the Basketball Podcast Network. They're going to bring you top quality content from 26 different franchises around the NBA. That's going to include myself as I am the affiliate for the Oklahoma City Thunder for the network. You guys can check out this podcast along with all the other podcasts you're going to find on the network on their website, thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, or you guys can check out their Twitter page at Hoops pod net now though i'm gonna drill into my top five prospects and this has been a week-long venture from me there's been a lot of self-doubt thinking why did i have this guy so low why is this person so high just keeps on battling but we have made it here and there's no looking back so we're gonna count it down five four three two one let's go and it started out at number five. You have Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. He's a 19-year-old small forward. You know the gist with this guy. Six foot eight, even could be six foot nine on a good day. And everybody in Bricktown loves him for the most part. There's still a bit of Kaminga fans, but I think everybody's kind of grown in on Scotty Barnes as a player. And when you look at Scotty Barnes defensively, He is going to be a specialist. This is an area where you know he's going to be in contention for the all-defensive awards because his body is so lengthy. He's allowed to kind of guard one through five pretty well on or off the ball. Off the ball, he's able to lodge his arm in there. He's going to go and pick your pocket. He's going to make life hell, uh, you know, if you're right in front of him. But also... Another thing, though, is when you look at his offensive game, he's pretty good at attacking the basket, and he has a surprisingly good vertical. In transition, he can accelerate, he's going to rise to the occasion, and he's going to slam the basketball down with authority. Even on top of that, though, he's able to absorb some contact right around the basket. I'd say he's already a really good 
finisher uh, around the around the cup right now. But you know, when you kind of go past that, there's even more. And the big deal that you're gonna hear, and the big comparison you'll hear about with Scotty Barnes is Draymond Green because he's this guy who can finish. He's a defensive master, but he's also very good at passing. He's a top passer at the position in this draft class. There's no doubt about it. If you're going to lay out him versus Kuminga as passers, I'm going to say Scotty Barnes. I think Kuminga and Barnes can pass very well when driving inside, but I'd still give the edge to Scotty Barnes in that half court and even on the fast break. He is going to rely and look at all these other options, and he still makes things a little bit interesting because he's able to kind of go around. He's going to dart passes out to the corner. If you just give him the ball out of a dribble handoff, he's going to make life out of the play. He's not just immediately going to pop it off a DHO. He could try to kick it out, and he's surveying those options all of the time. So that's where he kind of excels, at least on the offensive end. As a finisher, you got to love him. Defensively, though, that's where he makes his money worth, uh, you know, his money's worth, like I like I mentioned, and it comes with his ability to play on or off, him to play against a lot of these positions, but also that profile just in general, it makes it interesting, and it makes him even good at rebounding, for example. And one of the good things about him is when he's slashing inside or when he's just moving around, his strides are huge, so he's able to cut off windows like driving lanes defensively but offensively you know it's only going to take him four or five steps to go from the timeline to damn near he's zooming in from the free throw line for a dunk right so he can make issues out of some people and he's very good at hustling so he's going to go after every single loose ball that's a trait that the thunder would love to have and also his work ethic has been really highly touted by everybody that has spoken on the man to this point the problem with scotty barnes though is he is not good at shooting the basketball right now and personally i'm not sold on it i think that he still has some large steps he needs to take in this department he wasn't taking shots confidently with the seminoles in fact he was hesitating more times than he was actually shooting the basketball he's wide open from three he's not going to want to take it it's a mental game and it's killed guys like Darius Baisley and he's just had those droughts. Pokusevsky had that drought to start out his career. Took him like damn near 10 games probably to hit a three. I don't know the exact number, but he was cold. I think that could be an issue with Scotty Barnes, but the plan is and the hope is he's going to be able to be developed and some people are pretty confident that even though the shooting mechanics, at least in my eyes, are kind of poor, they're going to be able to move him from a 30% three-point shooter on just 37 attempts to a reliable three-point threat, and that is going to make him a huge deal because he needs to be a two-way threat. I think not just from outside, he can struggle as a shot creator. He's not a three-level scorer right now. He's just inside. That's where he attacks. But you got to keep in mind, you need to have an ease of entry. You need to make sure you can tap into the interior. And one of those big deals is, is someone sagging off on you? Because if a decent defender is sagging off on you, they're still going to be able to kind of cover their ground and cut off some of those lanes. If you're a three-point threat, one of those star guys in the league, 
you can't go and sag off. They're going to shoot the ball over you, and they're going to torch you with threes all game. So when someone's guarding you normally, or they're even tighter trying to kind of close the gap on you, that's when you can get those blow-bys. And I'm afraid if Barnes never really grows as a three-point shooter, it's going to be a problem, and that might actually hinder him just in general offensively. One of those things, though, is he can still be helpful when cutting in off the basketball, but the relief is he's a good passer regardless, and that's the Draymond Green comp where Draymond Green, he can't really shoot. He's gotten better, but he can't really shoot. Barnes could kind of be like that where he's not going to shoot the ball that well, but he is still going to contribute with the basketball in his hands at the perimeter because how he passes it and defensively, he's able to lock people up and he still is kind of that chess piece to where even if he is a deficiency on offense, he's going to make it up uh, on what he's doing defensively. So I look at him as one of those quality looking starters. I will say though, and this is something that I've mentioned, I think there is kind of this idea that his floor is just so high. I'm not so certain about that. And this is one of those things where I think, you know, after I record, maybe I should list someone lower or higher. I've looked at him and I look at uh, Stanley Johnson actually out of Arizona. And I look at that because Stanley Johnson was very good at finishing. He was very good defensively, particularly when it came to poking the ball loose. Even some of those rim protections where he's swatting it in the stands. That's something Barnes does all the time, really. And, you know, Stanley Johnson never panned out in the NBA. He's just been a role player. He's been a journeyman. I don't really think I'd ever put Scotty Barnes at that label, but I still think he could be one of those bench players who might not ever figure it out offensively and that could kill him. I still would go the route, though, that he's going to be a solid contributor off the bench at the worst, but he's still probably going to be one of those starting caliber guys who is going to be a defensive mastermind. And I think that's going to help value him more I don't know about the three, and that's the problem. Um, you know, you could go around asking 100 people, who would you rather have, Barnes or Kaminga? Majority would say Barnes, and a lot of people would say they probably like Barnes' shot more than Kuminga. Personally, I do not feel that way. And that's why I have Barnes at five, and that's why I have Jonathan Kuminga sitting at number four. Shocker here. Would have thought Jalen Suggs would be here, maybe even Scotty Barnes. Jonathan Kaminga has climbed the mountain. He's reached this fourth spot, and I have loved Jonathan Kaminga from day one. I watched this guy since he played with the G League Ignite, and let me tell you, there was a lot of times where I actually preferred Jonathan Kaminga over Jalen Green because Kaminga, he was consistent all the way through. There weren't those kind of bumps like a Jalen Green would have. And when you look at Jonathan Kaminga, you got to look at him. He's only 18 years old, and his body suggests that this man is 25. He looks jacked, even though he's only 210 pounds. Now, he's six foot eight. Some people listen to him as six foot six, and the wingspan is right around the seven foot mark. So, the frame in general is beautiful, but he is a very toned up, extremely muscular guy. And he is the most athletic forward you're going to find in this draft class. Maybe even in the ranks of like the Jalen Greens and the Keon Johnsons. I'd probably put it a tier lower though. He can still rise up and he's going to have his head looking at or even looking down at the rim. He flies in transition. The athleticism shows up, springs like a damn rocket. He's launching into outer space. He's booming it over anybody 
who was in his way. So transition flushes, you get your cameras out every damn time, but also in a half-court setting, he will go after posterizers, and he actually did it against Alexei Pokashevsky this year when they played the blue. Was it this insane rim rattler that it's going to put him on Sports Center? No, but he was still doing it on a seven-footer who was kind of seen as a good shot blocker beforehand, so he shut that down pretty damn quickly. I think it was like the second or third game of the season, though. I think it was the third for the Ignite and the second for the OKC Blue because they played the Stars, maybe, to start things out. I don't know. Something like that. But outside the athleticism, he's not just like the Keon Johnsons who, I guess I'm discrediting Johnson because he does have a wide array, but just think of those high flyers who have never been able to put it together. Maybe like a DJ Stevens or something where in the G League and D League, he would put on a show at the NBA level, though, he was just never able to make it. He's a dunk contest type of guy. Maybe even a James White, too, who he should have been playing in the NBA. Let's just be honest. He had a little bit more than just hops in his system. But those guys who can fly in transition but can never make use of it in a half court, Kuminga's not like that. He's a very great attacker. And he said that I don't think, you know, he said he doesn't think he's going to contribute right away. I actually think so because of how valuable he was inside. He was the better player, the best player probably finishing in the G League, uh, Ignite, and maybe even the whole league. And it's just how he's able to pick apart angles. And he wants to go down low on drives. He uses his back to almost shield off the defenders. And this isn't a typical post, really. This is where you don't have a lot of contact. Maybe like one arm is just draping against the back but nothing much but he uses that back and he's going to shield himself off the you know and and wall himself and then he's just going to get you with a quick strike he's going to be right on that left side of the rim he's going to take a flip shot bank shot he doesn't need to make it pretty with a dunk or anything just whatever works to where you're not able to jump over him and get that rejection he did it and he did it all the time either side left or right he was beautiful and also this helps out too because even in a post setting he likes to use the jabs he likes to fake shots around the rim and it just continues to keep you guessing and every inch or every foot movement he's gonna pick that apart and that's how he's able to get those angles and get those layups and this isn't even something that is acquired just on being athletic alone when you look at some of those clips it's just based solely off of iq it's not based off of him being able to jump high he's not really jumping high on any of these clips this is just him being a really good finisher around the basket so the reads he has on angles is ridiculous also works off the ball because he was an absolute monster when it came to cutting inside whether it was for dunks whether it was for layups or even when he was flying inside for alley-oop putbacks, he can read the court, he can read where the weak points are, and he is going to attack those points every chance he gets. And this goes into when he's handling the basketball in space. Now, when you look at his dribble style, he's far from being there. I think the speed with the ball isn't extremely glamorous. It's fairly loose, too, when it comes to how he handles the basketball. But he's still able to get to the rack regardless, and I think that needs to be kind of credited. He has a really good crossover and behind the back, and that helps on penetrations a ton. The first step is big. 
I'm not going to say he has an elite first step, but something like the behind the back or even a moving cross into the behind the back can give him that cut. And once he has that angle, like I said, he's really good at just going right at you. And when he's driving at you head on, I will say that little thing I talked about where he's great at angles, that kind of goes out the window. He really does it when he's pinned against the baseline. But he does a lot of other moves where I guess it does create angles. So I might as well uh, kind of take that back because he was a master at doing some spin layups this year. Now, when you want to look at him outside of the finishing type, you're going to look at his passing ability. And he averaged 2.7 assists in his 13 G League games. When he's going in transition, the eyes are always going to be going up. And I think this is where he excels as a passer. In the half court, you're going to kind of get a microcosm of this. And actually, I'd probably say you get a little bit less production in the half court as opposed to the front um, uh, fast break. Excuse me. But when he's going, he's looking at the kickouts and he's going to see you uh, in the corner. Now, when he's reading the pick and roll, he also is very good. And he knows where the center is every single moment of time. And he even on backdoor cuts will find you. The big deal is the pick and rolls and the pick and pops. He had Isaiah Todd right there with him. He knew where Isaiah Todd was all the time. Amir Johnson. He knew where Amir Johnson was. And if you had Jalen Green cutting into the basket, he'd throw you those lobs and Jalen Green would flush it down with some authority. Even Deshaun Nix would get in on the fun every once in a while. But he was really good at passing it there. The one little asterisk though. When it comes to corners, like he is not the type to be getting all giddy. He's not looking to pass it out to the corner. He's looking at the big. He's looking at himself. And he kind of can get that tunnel vision. So the corner can get kind of just phased out of the play, which kind of does suck. Um, you know, just, just a little bit. Other end of the ball, defensively, the upside is clearly there with him. I mentioned the frame he has, like a 7-foot wingspan being 6'8", 6'6", whatever. Doesn't really matter. He plays around 6'8", regardless. And he had defensive lapses, of course, kind of splattered in there. But on the pick and roll, he did a very good job switching onto guards up top. And even on his normal matchups, he was good when they went rolling into the basket. He is one of those players where the Isaiah Robies, this is a guy that I've raved about before. Like when he set high ball screens with Maladone in the preseason and even in the regular season, he has that strength to catch the guard, but also he's faster than his matchup as a small ball five. Jonathan Kuminga. He's cutting the crap right there. He had Poku cutting in on him on pick and rolls. He had centers cutting in on him. But he could catch up to you, and he would stay kind of in this bubble space where, you know, if you want to throw a ball up um, trying to lodge a pass inside, since he's so athletic, he kind of shrinks down that passing window, and he can sky up, turn into a 50-50 ball, and come up on top of it. But also... He can switch and get back on you. He can contest the floater. And if you want to try to jam in a pass once you get to the free throw line, he'll still turn around and get a chase down block up against you. So the rim protection was major for him. Averaged a block a game. Came from those traditional blocks to those chase downs where he did show a ton of athleticism in there. But he's great. Contesting, beautiful. Think the lateral quickness is already at a very high level. 
Uh, and I think that, um, you know, he could still use some touch-ups defensively. But for the most part, I think he is extremely good. And when you look at him in five years, you're going to see him as a promising player. If his offensive game fills out perfect, and he still has this same defensive game, you think he's a two-way player because defensively, he already has kind of the package. And even stealing the ball too, he uh, he can be active in those passing lanes. The thing with Jonathan Kaminga though, is going to be the shooting and he shot it every chance he got with the g league ignite he has a very fluid jumper i think the release looks clean you're going to kind of get that consistency most of the time um, from shot to shot but also with that consistency there's the inconsistently consistency excuse me like i said where he wasn't hitting a quarter of his three balls and he was shooting a lot of them every single game shot five a game and he went 16 of 65 overall here's the thing though and this is the fine lining that you're not going to hear kind of anywhere else his shot chart is insane he shot 10 of 21 from the left wing everywhere else he shot four of 28 uh actually that's just from the right wing so i take it back if you want to add up the numbers though I mean, he only had six makes. That's six out of, what, 44 elsewhere. So the left wing was the hot spot. Everywhere else, he stunk. And at the foul line, he went 62.5% there. So that's also not that good. Three-point line, free throw, everything kind of needs some work. But the confidence was big to the point where I actually assess him kind of like Lou Dort was last season. So I think that he could actually blossom into that low 30s three-point score, and that's big. But on top of that, the mid-range game for him has actually come pretty easily. He uses spins not just right around the cup, but also when you look at those 15-footers, he'll step into the mid-ranges, he'll pull up on you, and because of the speed and because he's decently shifty, he's able to get those shots off pretty comfortably. And if the shot becomes a routine for him, he becomes a monster at either level of the court. And it's just like Scotty Barnes. You get that rolling, he's beautiful. Problem is, and I think this is the major gap between the two, Scotty Barnes doesn't have any shot creation latched onto him. He doesn't have the confidence right now either. Kaminga's confident, and he already has shot creation ability left right there on the table. He's just waiting to finally tap into his bag of goodies. And once he does... He's going to be showing them off to everybody. Other thing that might be difficult, as I said, a little bit is just passing and kind of settling. Even though the shot creation is awesome for him, he will get into those really weird spin jumpers. Like once he gets into a spin, he's taking a shot. He's not passing out of it. And if he's contested, he's taking it and he's probably going to miss the jumper. So you just got to tinker with that and make sure he's a bit more restrained when it comes to where he is shooting the basketball. So I think he's one of the most gifted athletes. Defensively, he's really gifted as well. I like him. Uh, and I think he has the highest ceiling outside of the top four, actually the top three in this draft class. So my evaluation with him has always kind of been on the scale of like uber athletic OGN and OB, but I think he has that all-star potential and even, you know, one of the better small forwards in the NBA. So Jonathan Kuminga, I'm really high on him. If the Thunder have a shot at him, you should take him over really anybody left because he does have 
that type of ceiling. He does have that low floor though where he could end up being the Stanley Johnson. He could be that journeyman, but I think it is worth the risk taken. And one deal that actually would kind of fall into this low floor is, of course, you could say in the G League system, maybe that wasn't the best competition and everybody feasts around the basket, but he's not the big centers that are feasting. You know, he's not one of those people. I said it with Isaiah Todd actually too. He's one of these small forward, power forward types where he's not always going to be put in the paint. You know, he's still got centers he needs to work against. He had double team layups he was making. So I think he'll be fine making the jump. I actually think he'd probably be scoring double digits from the get-go. So I think he was being pretty humble about himself in some of those pre-draft interviews. Next up, though, you have Evan Mobley. He is going to be the unicorn you're going to find in this draft class. Seven-footer. He's going to be blocking shots from anywhere across the court. He was getting, I think, actually more blocks than he did fouls. He had 2.9 blocks a game and just 1.8 fouls. So he gets contests without fouling. And the rim protection around the basket makes him feel like he's damn near Manute Bowl or George Marison. Like, he plays really tall. And the wingspan really helps play into that as well. So he can actually chase down too. Um, but that's the big thing. So he's going to be able to shot block right around the cup. But also when you try to pull him out to the perimeter, he does a great job of closing out and he can actually get some fingertip blocks in addition to all of that. Other thing though that makes him kind of that big package on defense is how he plays off of screens. He's able to guard one through five off screens. And this is something you're not going to see from many other centers in the NBA. You're going to need to have those guys uh, who can do that. And Evan Mobley does, but he also has potential elsewhere where he's not just going to be there for defensive purposes. Offensively, the game it comes kind of naturally to him as well. So I think he's, you know, he's going to be one of the better guys off of the screens. And when he's trying to run down the court, I mean, he has those long strides and he's able to reject those shots. And another thing on top of the, you know, just being able to switch off of screens is even when he's stuck one-on-one, he mirrors defenders hip for hip. He's matching you. He's closing off lanes. And with a seven foot four wingspan, you're not going to blow by the man very easily. You're going to need to settle for those jump shots. And since he can close out too, you might as well pass the basketball and go cower in the corner, right? And yeah, the versatility is endless with him. And that's why I've even kind of brought up, maybe you can have a lineup where Mobley and Jared Allen can coexist. Would it be a bit weird? Maybe. I think there'd still be a learning curve between the two, but it will be possible just based off of how he roams the floor. And now he's actually kind of used to being able to defend other positions outside of the five. On offense, though, want to go back to that. Very good at handling the basketball for the position. And it's not like he has the craziest packages of dribble moves. But what he can do is he can take the basketball coast to coast uh, just with speed alone because of the long strides. And he actually does have a couple nice push crosses and uh, between the legs moves that can create some space for him and helps him out in the half court when he wants to kick it out or if he wants to take a face-up jumper. And the face-up jumper kind of comes from what you see in the pick and roll because he'll set you a pick and roll. He'll slash to the basket, but he can also pop outside. And he still is not 100% like a shooter, 
right now, but I think the growth and potential is seriously there for him to even off the basketball or on the ball, he can shoot very, very well. Only big knock I actually have on him is kind of the strength in the frame. He's going to get bounced around at 215 pounds. The Cantors of the world will be able to size him up, I think. And the stars like Jokic, Embiid, that's, that's going to be a deal. And then also on drives, he kind of will just force himself into situations just like maybe a Jonathan Kaminga would as well. We'll need to work on some free throws too. That's the nitpick of things. He shot 70%, so kind of is what it is. I like him. I look at the elite defense, and also I see a couple shades of a player, maybe even like Chris Bosh. Next up, though, you got the top two, and this is almost a 1A, 1B in my opinion. I think that this grouping is a lot closer than people may suggest, and if Jalen Green is healthy, he might be considered the number one here. Like I said, it's airtight in my opinion. Jalen Green's going to be the number two. He's really good. He's got the superstar potential. And when you look at who's the best offensive guy, Jalen Green's the best offensive player in this draft class. Explosive athlete on lobs. He'd be flying up for stuff. Cutting to the basket. He's flying up anywhere on the floor. He's capable of making shots, but the athletic ability, that's what really, you know, separates him. He's like Zach Levine when he's flying in at the rim. And even off of layups, he's very, very good at shedding off of contact when he likes to, but also absorbing contact and getting to the foul line. One thing you're going to see with him outside of reverses and clearly dunks is the up and under move around the baseline. And he does it all the time, and he does a great job at doing so. Next, though, you got to talk about, you know, what's outside of that explosiveness and that is maybe one of the issues that you might find with him. He's so explosive. He's almost like Derrick Rose, where the way he lands is awkward. It's always going to be on one leg or whenever he's going to be flying inside. Maybe he has one knee sticking out a little bit more prominently than it should. There's injury concerns, and you don't want to have him missing 20 games a year. That should never be, you know, just part of the schedule. You don't want to be resting players, and you don't want to miss in the playoffs. So, you need to get someone with Jalen Green to fix his landings, but the dunks, man, this is a person that you would find on Ball is Life, Hoop Mixtape, he'd be lurking all around. I think he was the number one prospect out of high school, so deservingly so, he probably does have uh, a tape like that, but yeah, he can come in from everywhere. He's going to take the smallest of crevices and just explode at you, and he's a freight train, so good luck trying to stop him when he has that momentum because he is lightning fast to go along with it those mid-air adjustments come with it too kind of cover that with the dunks and the layups how he can change shots and even kick out at times when he would like to um, but he also has a spatial awareness where he can actually make the moves to sidestep you hop step you or even spin around you entirely to make things work out other thing though i think his handle it's probably the quickest you're going to find at the cl in the class, and he's six foot six, which is also ridiculous. Um, but yeah, he's got about every single dribble move in the book. He's got the go-to moves between the legs, push crosses, step backs, pull-ups. He'll free himself up, and his quick first step is wild. He already establishes 
his route to the basket and he gets you backpedaling that's when the pull-up jumper comes in a full swing and you know that's when he can actually step back and the step back he has the best step back in the class he is the best step back i've seen in a couple of drafts honestly he's in the same lineage of james harden here where he covers so much ground he elevates every shot off the step back for him is like a wide open shoot around jumper and he is so confident already from downtown I think he's going to be someone that guys just won't be able to really defend at the next level when he's really going at it. And, you know, even even when he's not at, you know, at 100%, he's still going to be effective going to that step back move. He's going to make that a kind of pen marked, hallmarked move, whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. That's what it's going to be for him. He's really good at shooting the basketball. Also, those dribble moves really do kind of free him up and he has those subtle jabs where he can actually get the ball and even before he dribbles it, he's going to get you moving. Like there's that one clip of LeBron James just completely clowning, forgot exactly who it was, but he just needed a pump fake and jab and the guy was flying all over the place. Jalen Green's going to be able to do that and he's going to do it uh, all the time. And he has those third tier moves too, like the pull-ups and the step backs where, you know, he's just going to make things work out and the creation is wild because it's at both levels but also off the ball he's going to be an absolute killer he can take the catch and shoot jumpers confidently but also cutting inside he knows the weak side like the back of his hand he knows when the center's not looking and he knows when he can cut in and make you pay so he's got the entire package when it comes to scoring the basketball and passing He's good at finding those backdoor cutters and finding people when they're running to the rim. Defensively, I think he's also good at stealing. The major concern, though, with Jalen Green, and the only concern I have with him, is defending off of screens. He's very poor in this area, and he's not even 180 pounds. That's less than SGA is. Um, so, yeah, he gets bounced around screens, and... A lot of the times, he would just kind of tense up, and he'd freeze off of one of those high ball screens. He'd sit up top there, and there wasn't enough time to recover. And even when he, you know, he tried switching on to the center, it still didn't work out that well because the center had to try to drop back again. This is a center on his team, of course. It just got pretty ugly, and you need to be able to defend uh, in those pick-and-roll uh, situations off those screens to really be able to play 40 minutes but he can already play 40 based off the offense you just got to be able to kind of combat the mitchells and the bookers of the world when they get hot and i don't really know if he's at that level yet right now but you got to keep in mind this guy's only 19 years old and he's going to be a star if he's healthy so i love him i actually guess um maybe on top of what i was saying lateral quickness to awareness just the basics that's what i have written down on him and also inconsistency but i don't think that's actually going to be a problem at the next level i uh, i really like him but as i mentioned he's going to be an all-star level scorer he's going to take over games he's going to be dropping 25 30 points a game hell when you look at scoring champions he might very well be up there multiple times just because of what he is going to bring to the table and what he brings already he's so electric and he does it anywhere on the basketball floor i really hope the houston rockets don't take him it's going to make me want to ball my eyes out 
Um, so maybe Presti can make that Godfather deal. Hell, even the Pistons could take him, but you know that's when they get Kate Cunningham. So the Rockets are in a really good situation. Um, I just want the Thunder to have Jalen Green or just not Houston because Jalen Green's my favorite prospect here. Uh, I, I've said Jalen. Uh, I guess I've said Isaiah Todd's my favorite. Jalen Green is kind of in that situation too. I've really fallen in love with all three of the uh, first round projected G League Ignite guys. But we worked our way down. We're finally here at the number one pick. And it's Kay Cunningham out of Oklahoma State. Six foot eight point guard, the do it all guy, master of pretty much everything. He's going to be a star. Okay, let's just make it clear here. He is going to be extremely good. And I think the the bust potential with him really is, you know, he doesn't make the all-star team, right? But he's still a borderline all-star. There's not a boom or bust here. His floor is still ridiculously high. But even if he's what he's expected to be, he's already making the all-star team multiple times in his career. And it's because he's so large. He's 6'8", playmaking. He plays exactly like a point guard. And the passes he was making was ridiculous. He was formed with a pretty bad hand with Oklahoma State. I'm just going to be honest. Mike Boynton's an amazing coach. He's been getting good recruiting classes in here. They just got Bryce Thompson, for example. But when you look at what they had, it was kind of Avery Anderson and not much else. Like You did not have a lot of shooters surrounding him, and that's what you needed. So they didn't give him the best environment. He was double teamed all the time. But even with that, he was dicing up ridiculous passes through four intertwined arms like it was wild what he was uh kind of teeing off to some people and when he's going in transition this same motive of pass first is going to be there for him and that's uh, that's a leader right there those are the qualities that you are going to need and the pace he's able to do it at is also very very high pick and roll he's going to be a specialist he was a 40% three-point shooter with the Cowboys. That kind of came as a shocker. People didn't expect him to be that good at shooting, but he was. And also attacking the rack, he's very good at taking contact. So he's one of the best pick-and-roll prospects we've seen in the last three years. You look at guys like Luka, look at guys like Trey Young, and you look at guys like Cade Cunningham. And defenders, you know, they oftentimes wanted to stay back on screens. They wanted to drop back. And they wanted to see what K would do. And he would just laser off top of the key triples. And he was hitting it one by one by one. You weren't allowed to do that to him by the end of the season. And that's when he got into takeover mode when he wanted to drive, you know, drive into the basket. And um, yeah, it was a nightmare. I mean, these guys, they were given a really hard task with Cunningham already. But he was hitting shots anywhere. And I think the pick and roll... As I said, he's in the elite class where not a lot of people really can be in contention for him. You can even have both guys go up on him, and he's going to make that pass to the center, and there's going to be two points waiting right there. On top of it, not just that face-up guy when he's given a wide-open three. He can step back, and he can pull up on jumpers. And he doesn't have the quickest first step. I'll mention that later. It's kind of his main weakness I see in his game. But if he has the room, he can pull up on jumpers. Also, he has that step back. And the step back, a little bit awkward. You're not going to get the most space kind of covered with it. But 
he still has enough room to go up with his natural shot formation and he skies above and when he's in the zone he is in the zone i know in um in the tournament i believe like it seemed like the game was over but he was hitting succession step back threes face up threes a little bit of everything and they almost went back to actually win the game because of you know what he was doing um but yeah and for those of you not already thinking this guy's going to be able to do it from downtown let me just give you the numbers 40 percent from three shooting 5.7 attempts per game even from the foul line he was shooting 85 percent on almost six tries a night and a lot of those free throws just came off of how he was attacking the basket he wants to drive inside posters don't come often for him but he still wants to finish through contact and he's probably going to get those good calls i think the refs will give him a bit of favoritism but i'm not gonna you know be uh be upset with that i mean i'm a cowboy fan so good on k cunningham for getting those superstar s calls in the half court setting though i mean you're not gonna see cunningham explode necessarily it's more those layups downhill he actually can rise up so maybe you could see posters really slipped um slipped into there so i don't know also when you look at him as a finisher the post game is intriguing just like luca's post game is kind of developed you know both of them are kind of around that six foot seven six foot eight area and when you're a point and you're playing against guys four or five inches smaller than you you can kind of exploit that turnaround game and Cade was doing it but he was also even dabbling into some of those post hooks which is pretty cool with him and he also has that clutch gene where you know you're not going to find that with anybody else truthfully i could go after every single quality of him i've got a whole entire like hour-long special on this guy if you want to hear more details but yeah i could go a full hour if i'd like to really good rebounder defensively versatile since he is six foot eight he's gonna defend those bigs one through four i think he has it down um five you know that's where maybe it's a gray area but one through four i like him think laterally the quickness could improve these are my really small uh ounces of weaknesses that i have with him but he could sure up with the lateral quickness i think that since he's not as explosive it can lead to some sorts of issues Uh, i don't think it's gonna be that big though but also um you know the big thing is he doesn't have that major burst of speed and if he isn't able to turn the corner you might get turnovers um kind of handed away because of it so i think that that's what you kind of check with him um you know that quick first step once he gets done with that offensively this man is a full-on juggernaut and no one's going to be able to handle him so i like him he's going to be a future all-star perennial all-star potential really in my book the floor really high already he's still going to be one of the best point guards if he reaches what he's supposed to be though all star so i love him you know he he was killing it in the the pre-draft questionnaires as well we'll see where he goes thursday night if it's not pick number one someone deserves to be arrested someone needs to get fired from their job he's the number one pick even though like i said i think jalen green is actually in a really tight race with him right now because both of them are extremely talented and they're going to be really big faces of uh you know probably the company for for a very long time so really love those two and all 30 of the guys that i talked about 
love them all too. Actually, 33 when you talk about the others. There's even more people I wanted to talk about, so just know that. Um, but yeah, this is a very fun series. I was up until 3 a.m. concocting this. It's literally 5.15 in the morning uh, as I'm recording this, so I've been gunning these off. I've been getting my notes down on all these guys, and I really hope you guys have enjoyed this little six-day mini-series I've done with you all with the big board. Might get you guys a Thunder-based one, um, you know, before we obviously hit Thursday, but there is always that potential to maybe get some guests on, so just keep the lookout for the episodes you're going to see on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, but like I said, really hope you guys liked uh, what you heard from me from 1 through 30. And if you guys have any suggestions from me, guys thought I was dumb on some of these picks, make sure to call me out. You guys can find me at Ben Kreider on Twitter. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.